You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. There's a parent day at 11 o'clock. I just saw it come up, so I'm just letting you know. Parent day back in, I think, building number one. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday. It's uh, good to see a few jerseys out. I see uh, Kent, you're wearing a Chiefs jersey, I can tell. <laughs> like father, like son. That's Ryan's dad. It's actually Joe Montana's jersey, I think, if that's correct. See, I know enough about sports to say that. So uh, today, will be a, uh, today will be a great day. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, I know. So we have a Chiefs jersey over here, don't we? Is that Dave? Uh, yeah, Montana played for the Chiefs, too. So you got both ways there. That's right. You're right. Well, we want you to have a good, a good day today. Be safe. Enjoy family, food, friends. We know that you're going to have a good time. Well, this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1. We're continuing our series, Not Ashamed, and I know that studying the book of Romans will make a difference in your life. It's made a difference in my life. I went to high school in the 70s, not the 1870s, but the 1970s. It was in uh, Southern California. There was a lot happening during that time. You know, during that time, I experienced uh, a, an amazing thing in my life with Jesus, where my faith was uh, renewed. Uh, I wanted to share my faith with my friends, but there was only one problem, and that was my friends. Uh, they really didn't want to hear the gospel. They didn't want to hear my testimony or my story. I remember that the Lord just really uh, prompted my heart, and I had it in my heart, to share with my best friends. So I prayed about that. I, I prepared. I prayed. I prepared. And we finally got to the place where I presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he looked at me. He didn't even bat an eye. And I was all done. Thought I did a great job. And his answer was no. And uh, it wasn't even all think about it. It was just like, no, I, I don't want Jesus. I don't want him in my heart. I'll tell you what, that was a setback for me, as you can imagine. I was a bit discouraged. I shut up. Um, I was afraid of what my friends thought about me until I had one of those God dreams. I, I don't know if you've ever, ever experienced that, but it was something that has impressed me my whole life. And it was one of those dreams where uh, we're in heaven, we're standing before the gates of heaven, and uh, the Lord had already instructed me to tell another friend. But because of my experience with the previous friend, I just said no. Uh, I don't have any interest in doing that. I'm afraid. I don't want to share my faith. And uh, it was in this dream that I saw this friend looking for me in the crowd. And I was hiding from him. I didn't want to see him. He wanted to see me. He was chasing me down is what he was doing. And he came up to me. And with a broken heart, he just asked the question, why didn't you tell me? Well, I woke up in a start. I really did. Uh, it was one of those dreams that I knew that day I needed to do something about that dream. So I found this particular friend. I did the same thing. I, I presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. And at the end of the, the presentation, he said, no, <laughs> again, no, again. I'm thinking I'm getting turned down. I feel like a fuller brush salesman or something, you know, when I'm doing this. But undetoured because it was that time that something happened in my own heart. It may not have happened in their heart right away, but it certainly happened in my heart. This dream had such an impact on me, it changed my view of the gospel. It changed the way that I, I, I looked at the gospel. I began to see the gospel, the gospel of God, not as a task, but rather as a treasure, not as some religious obligation that I was in, in, 
you know, bound by or encumbered by. It wasn't that. It was a joyful opportunity. That each time after that, when I had the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, my disposition was a disposition of joy. And that's what I wanted to do. There were a lot of no's, but there were also a lot of yeses. And that, that's really our journey, isn't it? When we're talking about sharing our faith with others, that's our message. Our message is a message of joy. And God has entrusted you and me with a treasure. That's what he's given to each one of us. It's not a task. The gospel is a treasure. And this was certainly true about the Apostle Paul, the way that the Apostle Paul viewed the gospel. To him, it was more than a duty. To him, it was a delight. And that everywhere he went, he wanted to share the gospel. He loved Jesus. He loved the good news. And he says as much in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what I want to do with you just for a moment is go back up a few verses. Go to verse 13. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. The reason we're going to do that is it gives you a little context as to what, what's going to happen and what's being said in verses 16 and 17. I want you to look at these verses, and if you would do this with me, listen to the pastor heart of the Apostle Paul. He says this, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. That man has a heart for others, doesn't he? When you read this passage, you recognize that he wants to be with them, no matter their station in life, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their, their education. It doesn't matter to the Apostle Paul. What he wants to do is he wants to get to people, and he wants to share his faith. He wants to share the gospel with them. Do you know how you can tell that people really love people? You can tell because they really love the gospel. You see, if you really love the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to tell people because people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So there's an authentic love that you have for people when you love the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we listen to verses 16 and 17 because what we hear, what we see here is what Paul is really giving us a proposition. He's talking to us about the way that he feels, his attitude toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is central to the message today. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Wow, that's putting it boldly, isn't it? What he's saying here, and the first thing you hear in verse 16 is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That means Paul is saying that wherever I go, whatever I do, this isn't something that I hide. This isn't something that I put in a closet. And what makes this statement more authentic to me? And I want you to think about this just for a moment. What makes this statement real to me is when you know the history of Paul's life. Because up to this point, there have been a few occasions where he's run into trouble. 
And he's run into trouble because of his faith in Jesus Christ. His life was threatened in Damascus, stoned, left for dead in Listeria, beaten, arrested, and jailed in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, scorned in Athens, and almost torn to pieces in Jerusalem. Why? All because he loved to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, folks, I can't wait to get to you and do it all over again. That's a man who was bold, a man who was filled with faith. You could read this and think that this guy is off his rocker. I mean, he's nuts. Why would he go back into trouble like he did before? Why would he do such a thing like this? Or you can think that someone, something got a hold of his life. Something apprehended him. Someone got a hold of his spirit. He had an encounter with someone that he couldn't run from. Instead, has submitted to serve the rest of his life. And that's what happened. Last week, we talked about that occasion for the Apostle Paul. It was the road to Damascus. Maybe you've had an experience similar uh, to the road to Damascus where you were on your way somewhere and out of what seemed like nowhere, the gospel of Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And your life is radically changed from that point on. So how else do you explain the fact that this guy is unstoppable, not intimidated by anybody? Religious leaders did not intimidate him. Political rulers did not intimidate him. Intellectuals in Athens did not intimidate him. The Caesars of Rome did not intimidate him. Before all of these people, he constantly said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a man who has a sturdy faith. There's a man who knows that he has a firm foundation. And so when you read this portion of Scripture you need to pay attention to four things that tell us why the Apostle Paul wasn't ashamed. And maybe you can adopt those same four things for your own life. Uh, maybe, maybe in your heart there's a timidity, there's a fear, different things that you go through when, uh, when Jesus asks you to share the good news with a friend like, like, like happened to me. The same kind of hesitancy because I, I was just afraid of people. But until uh, the time came where I saw that the gospel was not, it wasn't a task, it was a treasure. My heart became more bold to be able to share that good news. And here's the first of those four things of why the Apostle Paul wasn't ashamed and why our good news apart and stands apart from other sources of good news. First of all, it's this. Our good news is the ultimate good news. So the question stands, why are you ashamed or why would you be ashamed of good news? Good news is not something that we're typically ashamed of. But when it comes to the gospel, there may be a different bent in our heart, in our mind. The good news is something that we can be bold about and not be ashamed of. When you hear good news, you're probably going to share it with someone. A couple weeks ago, I heard about a healing, a physical healing that took place in our, our church community. And I was excited about that. I was, I was excited. I, I didn't keep it to myself. I wasn't ashamed of that good news. <laughs> I told, I told a lot of people about that good news. I said, wow, did you hear that so-and-so was healed? That there was a physical healing that took place in their, in their body. And, and what good news that is. So sharing that good news was so important. That was not something I was going to hide. Kind of like winning the lottery. I, I have yet to see people win the lottery and not tell others. You know, if you win the lottery, you're not going to keep it to yourself. Uh, you might try to keep it from the public because you don't want anyone hitting on you for money. But those around you, what are you going to do? You're going to share. 
say, hey, guess what? I, went, I won uh, $1,000. I mean, I, I think people would say that even if they won $10 because they just won something, you know? So it was good news. And so they went and they told their friends, hey, guess what? This is what happened. So if you were ashamed, what are the reasons that you might be ashamed? I think that's a good question. That's something we want to look in our own hearts and ask that question. Why am I ashamed of the gospel if, if that is your story, if that is your disposition? Well, if you were the Apostle Paul, you'd probably start with going to Rome. That's where it would start. I, I know it would for me because Rome, in, in the Paul's day, in the Apostle's day, was the center of the universe. It, it was where everything happened. It's where that you, you could run into people um, uh, all around the world. They would be found right there in Rome. It was the most important city on the planet. The size, its glitz, its pomp, its circumstance could be very, very intimidating. That when you went to Rome, you just had to keep in mind that these people may not listen. And you might be afraid of the fact that they won't listen. That there's not a need they have, there's not a care that they have. That, that they're in Rome, and they're Romans. And they believe that they have everything they need. I mean, uh, today, it would be similar to uh, going to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. That's what it'd be similar to. Uh, the glitz, the pomp, the circumstances. I mean, when you went into Rome, it'd be very similar to going into Las Vegas, shopping out of control, really, entertainment over the top, uh, food, undeniable. In fact, if you served a bad meal, you could, you could be arrested in Rome during those times. I mean, very overwhelming to the senses. Uh, you'd be getting blasted from every, every place. Every, every place that you went, you would experience what it was like. You'd be immersed in the Roman culture. In Latin, Roman, Rome was called Caput Mundi. Uh, some of you that know Latin or have Latin-based language, you probably can put it together. Head of the world or capital of the world or the center, really, of the universe. So it would be very easy to be intimidated just by your surroundings when you went to a place like Rome. Now, here's something else that everyone saw. At least if you didn't know Jesus, you would see this. When they saw the gospel or heard the gospel, the good news wasn't necessarily good news for them. And during that day, it probably wasn't. Most people back then, like today, think it's bad news. What's the reason for that? Well, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. That's the way the Romans would have thought about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where there's good news, they wanted to be, but in this case, that's not in their mind. That's not in their thinking. They're thinking to themselves, are you kidding me? Is this really good news? Uh, this is the guy that, that, that died on a cross. Where's the good news in that? The Romans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Romans. Well, you see that all through history. In fact, the Romans, the Romans conquered the Jews. The Romans invaded Jewish territory and occupied Judea. So they were the occupiers. The Jews could not stand the Romans. The Romans could not stand the Jews. And so the Romans, they, they looked at this, and what they would do is they would crucify the worst of the worst that went against the state of Rome. They crucified the enemies of Rome. And so they're thinking Jesus is obviously an enemy of Rome. So why put your faith in a dead Jew who was crucified? Where's the good news in that? I mean, what's the reasoning in that? The Romans had their great religions. They had their great philosophers. They had their great philosophies. We know that. We understand that. But who cares about this Jew, this 
Jew that died on a cross. Romans, in fact, called Jews by the word atheos, which is the word we get atheists from. Now you're thinking, why would they say that about the Christians? Well, if you were a devout Roman and you were committed to all the gods of Rome, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you denounced all those gods and you served one. You served the God of the universe. So when they heard that you denied all the gods of Rome, they would say, you're an atheist. You don't believe in our gods. And if that doesn't make matters worse, then the other thing they thought was this. It was a secret cult. You know, they thought that Christians were cannibals. That's what they thought. If you didn't know the Christian faith that well, and you were in Rome that day, you'd think, oh, these are the people that eat the body and the blood of Jesus. That was a, a real thing. And so those, those were the words out on the street. This is what people believed about Christians. So you can see where it would be very difficult to penetrate that kind of uh, belief, that kind of cultural system. It's not much different than today. Not much different than the things that you face today. Because truth be told, the gospel is unattractive to the natural unbeliever. And it's the same way today. Why? Well, it exposes man's sin. Who wants to be exposed to sin? What do you do with the sin in your life? If you don't want Jesus, you start to justify it. You, you start to make it sound like it's okay, that everything's fine. That's what you do. I mean, that's what people do with sin who don't want to go to the sin forgiver. They just justify their life. And then you don't, you don't want to go to the good news because you are in a lost condition. You, you don't want to hear that about yourself. The other thing, and maybe the deeper thing for all of us, is our own pride. Especially if you lived in the day of Roman. I, I think, again, it's similar to the days we live. There's so much, there's so much out there that has to do with the pride of life. Uh, whether you are rich or poor, there's just this pride of life that everyone, everyone believes that what they're doing is the right thing to do and they can do whatever they want. It's a very difficult spirit to, to break. We need to pray over that kind of stronghold, don't we? In, in the society, in the culture that we live in, we need to pray that the Lord break that. Unbelievers were criticizing and scorning the gospel. Christians, because of that, became silent, became ashamed. Maybe that's been your experience, where when you shared, you just backed away because you were scorned. You were teased, you were mocked. But it is such good news to everyone who believes. The Bible says to us that our sins are forgiven, that we have been given the gift of eternal life. And while we're here on this planet, we've been given abundant life. Do you know what that means? That means fullness of life. No obstacles to the joy of life because it's all found in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. This is why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Say amen to that. I'm not. I'm not ashamed. Number two, the second reason why Paul was not ashamed and why the good news is set apart is because our good news is the power of God to salvation. Now, I want you to hold on to that and think about that just for a moment. The Romans loved power. They boasted in their power. They had the most powerful military on the planet. I mean, they took care of every kind of contingency, every kind of detail when it came to thinking that they might be invaded or they might come up against an enemy. 
They're still known today as being one of the most tenacious militaries that has ever existed in all of mankind. You know, they would go get you. If it took a day, they would get you. If it took a year, they would get you. If it took 10 years, they would get you. That was their mentality. Nothing, nothing stood in their way. But with all that power, there was something missing. They were powerless in bringing salvation to the human soul. They had no ability to do that. Not one soul could be changed for eternity. Their military was strong, but they were morally weak. They didn't have the ability. Paul said, I'm not ashamed because I have the one message that can change every life. I have the one message, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, can change your life. Paul knew that not only could that message change the life of individuals, but Paul also knew that that message could change the trajectory, the spiritual trajectory of cities. He had already experienced the conversion of Corinth. He had already been there and witnessed what happened in Ephesus. He had already experienced what happened in Antioch. He experienced all of those things. Now, notice the way that Paul writes this. Look back down again at your scripture. It says, it is, it is the power of God. It doesn't say, it doesn't say to us, it has the power. It says it is the power. It's one thing to possess power. It's another thing to be the source of power. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying this, this isn't just power in its expression. This is power in its character. This is power by its very nature. It is in and of itself powerful enough to accomplish all of God's purposes. Everything that God wants to accomplish in your life and everything that he wants to get done in your life and in, 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 your, in your home and in your family, where do we find the power for that to happen? It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's always amusing to me when people try to prop up the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they try to maybe add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ or take something away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't think that's true, just look around and listen. Listen to what are even seemingly Christian messages. Are they adding to the gospel? Are they taking away from the gospel? If either one of those are happening, it's not the gospel. It might sound like it, but it's not the gospel. The gospel does not need you or me to prop it up. It doesn't need that. The gospel is a standalone message. It is powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not frail or feeble. It is the power God has to give to us the power of salvation. That's the gospel. So in and of itself, it is the power that we need to see our lives changed, to see cities changed like the ones you live in. It's through the gospel of Jesus. It's the power that changed the man named Saul to the apostle Paul. Now, that's a powerful thing, especially when you know a little history of Saul before he experienced and encountered Jesus. It's the power that changed the life of 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost. Not just there. It was the ripple effect. It was the power that went out from that room that touched other people, and they went and touched other people, and they went and touched other people. It was like a wildfire that you could not stop. That's powerful. 
And then you look down through history and you remember the Great Awakening and you remember the Second Great Awakening and then you remember the Welsh Revival and then you remember the Azusa Street Revival and then you remember all those that came to faith through Billy Graham's revivals, all of those. See, it's the power. It's the power of God. That power has been experienced and has been witnessed in our lifetime. And I want you to get a hold of this. Never take this for granted. In fact, the same power that changed lives on the day of Pentecost over the year in this church has been part of seeing tens and thousands of people's lives changed. You have been part of seeing lives changed. Sitting at the table with a, 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 a businessman who, who seemingly had it all together. A breakfast at Elmer's changed a man's life. Can you believe that? Going into a hospital room, talking to a man who had AIDS. He was on his last few days. He accepts Jesus Christ in his heart. A few days later, he passes away, and he's in heaven. Wow. Then, you can't forget that teenage mom who was desperate. She was so desperate. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. She believed so much in the power of salvation that was found in Jesus Christ. She accepts Jesus, and at her water baptism, her whole family comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they drew the same conclusion she did. It's the only thing that brings power to bring salvation. During our water baptisms, many of you have witnessed, many of you have been a part of that. What I like to do is I like to bring up the fathers and the mothers to stand around their children. And, and when they're standing next to them, to lay their hand on them, to see them water baptized. And so this father of this teenage mother came up. I had him stand next to me. He didn't have a clue what I was doing because he wasn't a believer at the time. So I said, all I want you to do is put your hand on your daughter's head. And he goes, well, I don't know Jesus. And I said, put your hand on your daughter's head. You're her father. And he did, and when he bent down to put his hand on her head, his cigarettes fell out of his front pocket, and I just caught him before they hit the water. And I said, here, you might want to smoke these after church. And I wasn't encouraging tobacco use, but it just seemed appropriate at the time. What does he do? He thinks, wow, that is amazing. Someone cares for me and loves me, even, even with all the habits I have in my life. He saw his daughter's life transformed, and he was transformed. Do you see the ripple effect? And then there's that other guy who kept running and running and running and running until he ends up in the hospital, can't run anymore. And what does he need to do? He needs to submit. He needs to surrender to Jesus Christ. Why? Because that power of the gospel showed up in his hospital room. His life was changed. Changed forever. The third reason, Paul was not ashamed because our good news is freely given. I, I like this part. You know I do. I always like to talk about this. I think when you notice verse 16 again, it says, uh, and I hope you see this, what it says, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to, what's next? To everyone. Wow. To everyone who believes. He didn't say to the most special or the most elite. He didn't say to the most wealthy. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything like that here. He, he said that this is to everyone. That's me. It's available to me. It's available to you. That's the beauty of this. It's to everyone who believes. Then it says, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, that is something that probably needs an explanation. He's not talking about exclusivity here. He's talking about the order. What he's saying here is this good news first went 
to the Jews. That's what he's saying. They, they were entrusted with this good news first. Promise came through Jewish prophets in Jewish scripture to the Jewish nation about a Jewish Messiah. So the good news came to them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first message of the gospel of Jesus Christ right after man and woman has fallen into sin. Jesus had a plan. God had a plan. The Holy Spirit had a plan. And it was to bring the good news to you. But it's for this that we look at. It's the whole world. And in verse 14, it says this. Paul says, I, I'm obligated. I'm obligated to this. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks. In some of your translations, it says, I'm in debt. Now, you're thinking, what? How's he, well, did he rack up a bunch of credit cards? I mean, how did he get it? Was he, did he owe somebody? Was Guido coming after him? What's the deal here? Why does he use this? Well, there's two ways you can look at debt. You can look at debt that way, the way that I just explained. Or you can look at it another way, and that's this. Let's say that you're entrusted with $1,000 to give to someone else. That someone's given it to you and said, you know, Joel, I need you to give this to John. And I give, give him $1,000. Well, he's in debt to John until he gets the money to him because that, that's really where the money needs to go. You see, a treasure's been given to you. You've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, because of that, now we're obligated <laughs> to pass it on. We're ob obligated to pass it on to everyone. See, you've been entrusted, again, with a treasure. It's not a task, it's a treasure. And so we give this to those that are in our families, in our communities, those that are around us. It's an amazing gift. He is obligated to pass it on to others. Jesus gave me a treasure. He gave you a treasure. And I'm obligated until I deliver that treasure to you. I'm obligated to you. I feel that all the time. I, I feel an obligation to you to tell you about Jesus. I felt an obligation to tell my friends, even when I had no clue what, what I was really doing. But I feel an obligation to tell them. Whether they're friends or strangers, there's just this... I don't know, maybe it's a gnawing obligation. But some way can they hear the gospel come from my life? Some way can they experience Jesus Christ from me? Some way, somehow, Holy Spirit, fill me and let me know. Help me. And then there's another one. The last reason Paul says that he's not, a, he's not ashamed is because our good news makes us right. Now, think about that. You can say it another way. It makes us righteous. The good news of Jesus Christ makes us righteous. Our good news gets people right with God. That's what it says in verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, the book of Romans is all about that particular theme. Did you know that it's saturated in the book of Romans? The book of Romans is all about how to get right with God. And that's why we connect it to our identity. Because you cannot experience your true identity until you experience God in your life. That's when you experience true identity. It's coming through the righteousness of God. So how can Paul be ashamed helping wrong people get right with God? I'm not going to apologize for that. You have no reason to apologize for that. You have no reason to hide. You have no reason to, 
to put your light under a, a, a cup or a bowl. You have no reason to do that. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ makes us righteous here. This means that none of us are right with God naturally. That you were born in sin. You were born with sin. You were a little sinner. When you were little, you were a little sinner. And you can see the little sinners everywhere. You can see them. I, I have 10 of them in my family, 10 little grandchildren sinners. And, and, they, and they, their sin is expressed through their own unique personalities. You know what I'm saying? So you can see it. It comes out when they're, uh, when they're exchanging thoughts with each other. But the thing about that is they can be righteous through Jesus Christ. They can be righteous through the good news of Jesus Christ. This isn't something that you make happen. Now hear this. It's not something that you earn. This is something that's been given to you. It, it's something that's been given to you, and then you're asked whether or not you will receive it. Because a gift really isn't a gift until you take it, until you receive it. You just do that. The other day, my grandkids put some things together. I don't know, they're making things out of clay and different things. And, and they put it in a, a little uh, basket and they handed it to me. I couldn't see what was in it right away. But you know what? I was so glad to get that. You know why I was glad to get it? It was from my grandkids. Because uh, when I opened it up, it wouldn't be something I'd be that excited about if it came from somewhere else. In fact, it was, it's a little ugly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I looked at it. And Annette says, why are you putting those things out on the counter? I mean, they're ugly. And I said, yeah, but they're from my grandkids. You know, it's a gift they gave me. And I want to receive that gift with a, just a good heart. You see, that, that's what happens when you receive the gift of the gospel. You are seen now right in God's eyes. I, I think what has constantly motivated me to share the good news and the reason I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ is because Jesus was not ashamed of me when he went on the cross. Jesus was not ashamed of you when he went on the cross. When he was stripped bare, it says that when he came, he took care of that shame, that you have no reason to be ashamed any longer. He died on the cross for me. I can't be ashamed of him. What he's done for me is he's given me eternal life. Do you know what joins all of us together as part of the kingdom? You know what makes you a citizen of the kingdom? What makes you a citizen of the kingdom is when you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're all equal. We're all in good standing with God. That means we're righteous now. Not on your own. Not on your own. You've been right, made righteous because of what Jesus has given you. He's inputted to you. He's given you righteousness when you receive him. So what do we have all together? What is in common with the citizens of the kingdom? It's righteousness. That's what we have in common. If you've ever traveled with them, with your uh, U.S. passport, you recognize that U.S. passport comes with certain privileges. That U.S. passport gets you in places you can't get in on your own. It isn't because you don't look at you and say, oh, yeah, you look like a nice guy. We'll let you in. They don't look at someone else and say, oh, you look like a real, real good girl. You, you can come on in here. No, they're not going to do that. The first thing they're going to ask you before you can go in and experience the privileges of that passport is they're going to ask you to see the passport. Can I see your passport? They used to. We have a few passports. They used to stamp it to say that, hey, you did come here. You were here. Why? Because you are a U.S. citizen. When we get to the gates of heaven, we are going to go in and there is going to be a question. 
How did you get here? Why do you think you should be here? Because I have the passport. It's called righteousness in Jesus Christ because I believe in him and my sins have been forgiven. Here's the passport. Here's the passport. And when you, when you have that passport, you know what you get with it? You get forgiveness. You get freed. You get filled with the Holy Spirit. You have eternal life. And here's another one. You have the power to overcome the enemies of your soul. And today there, there are a lot of us that have enemies of our soul. There are enemies that just seem to lurk around. There are enemies. Enemy of apathy. And of enemy, uh, the, the enemy of, yeah, I'll do it, but you never come through. That, that's an enemy. That deals with our integrity. I know that. That's, those are enemies that you face and you maybe can't get away from. And you're, you keep trying and you keep trying. Can I say this? You're never going to get it done until you totally embrace the passport that God wants to give you. And that is make you righteous. Now live like someone who is right with God. I think that it's not my name usually that's stake. It's usually, it's usually the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? By the way I live, who do I reflect? Hey, it's not perfect. Never will be. Can I say this? When it's not perfect and you break some of the rules, just ask for forgiveness. Don't try to spiritualize it or explain it away. Just ask for forgiveness. That's the thing to do. Then you're going to find out how much pride you really have when you do that. You really will. But Jesus came so that we could be righteous and be in good standing with the most important person, and that's God himself. Jesus Christ made us right with God. I'm so thankful for that. Would you bow your head? You have reason not to be ashamed today. You really do. You have reason not to be ashamed because you have the ultimate good news. Who's ashamed of good news? You have reason not to be ashamed because of the power of God and that has been freely given to you and that it makes you right before God in heaven. So, Father, today I just pray that you work in the hearts of all of us Believers and unbelievers, Lord, work in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Lord, for those that haven't come to faith in you, they haven't received the passport yet into heaven and haven't experienced the blessings that that passport gives us, let them, let them, let them want to, let them desire to, let them invite you into their life so that they have that passport of righteousness and that God will see them righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. For us, Lord Jesus, who, who are saved, who know you, who love you, let us continue to live a life unashamed, that we would say we're not ashamed of the gospel of God because of the power of God unto salvation. Lord, let us live that. Let us believe that. Give us that boldness. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.